Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, C4. I'm going to tell you all about my first marital spat. Know what a spat is, young people? It's, it's an argument, it's a fight. And you know what? It started on the honeymoon. I mean, let's just be real. Where do they begin but on the honeymoon? So Dean and I are traveling, went to a beautiful resort, and then we're like, you know, doing the road trip thing and driving through upper state New York. And as time went by, I'm like, one of us realized that I think we're lost. And the other one, of course, was absolutely convinced that we were not lost. But we were lost, and thus began the marital spat. Who was, were we lost or weren't we? Now, this is before the day of GPS. Uh, this is when the maps were bigger than the front seat of the car, you know? And, you, oh, and then you got to find, like, where's Waldo? you got to find yourself on the map before you can figure out where you're supposed to be. Anyway, thus ensued our marital spout, our, uh, spat about were we lost or not? And clearly, the moral of this story is that my husband, Dean, recognize that I clearly have the better sense of direction. So, you know, uh, we settled that one really quick in our marriage. Actually, the point of the story is that in order to find your way, you actually have to admit that you're lost. You know, conversion, we've been talking about all summer, and here's what conversion actually means. It's actually a decisive act where a person recognizes that they're lost, that they're spiritually lost, that they're going the wrong way in life and they have to turn around and head in the right way, the way towards Jesus. And scripture defines that turnaround, that recognition, I'm actually lost and I need saving as repentance. That's what conversion is recognizing you're lost and heading in the right direction. Conversion actually changes the direction of one's life. And we've heard this summer amazing stories of people's conversions. You know, some stories where I was converted or saved, I turned direction towards Jesus when I was a young child. For some, it was, I ended up in jail before I turned to Jesus. I mean, Jesus, we all have different conversion stories. But conversion is a change in the directions of one life. And conversion is actually the beginning of the story of transformation. Now, in order for me to tell you my conversion story and some of my transformation story, I need to take you to Luke chapter 7. We see three individuals in this story. We see Jesus. We're going to meet a religious leader named Simon. And we're also going to meet an unnamed prostitute. Now, before you think I'm going to tell you all about my sordid past, let's just read the story. Luke 7, 36 to 38. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. 
You know, Jesus was a popular teacher, and many Pharisees and religious leaders still hadn't quite made up their mind about him. So one of the Pharisees named Simon says, Jesus, why don't you come over to my house for dinner? Now, maybe Simon legitimately wanted to get to know Jesus. But we see in the earlier parts of Luke that it could have been possible that Simon was trying to test Jesus. His motives aren't clear. But as they were eating, a sinful woman, a woman of the city, otherwise known as a woman of the town, a prostitute, came to dinner. Now, often these dinners where religious leaders and powerful people in authority were meeting, they were held in large courtyards, they were held in large rooms, so you'd have the invited guests that were actually gathered around the table sharing the food, and then you'd have the uninvited guests, or we might say the riffraff, you know, in the room, that shows up and they are often sitting on the walls or leaning against the side of the courtyard in the garden or in a large room would be, you know, on the periphery, listening in to the conversation. You see, often these dinners that they would have uh, would turn into great discussions. Now, you might think, well, why would you show up to a dinner you're uninvited to? Well, there was no Netflix, there was no internet, there was no radio or television. You see, this was actually a form of entertainment, to, join, to show up at the party and be entertained. It was also a way that people learned. It was actually, as the conversation went on, often it would turn to discussion on scripture, and then the Pharisees, well, they got to show off all their knowledge. You see, they could use that opportunity to stump their, the, the other, the teacher, and to make their point. And so it was an opportunity for people to learn. Well, one of the uninvited guests, we are told, showed up that evening, and she was a woman of the town. It says she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood before him at his feet weeping, or behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, then she wiped them with her hair and she kissed his feet and put perfume on them. I mean, what do you think it took for a woman to bust through the ranks of the uninvited, to approach this table of the elite, of the chosen, of the invited group, and to break through, I mean, she would have to endure the sneers and the humiliation of people looking on and shouldn't she know her place? I mean, why would she choose to do this? She shouldn't approach this table of invited guests. And then, of all things, she starts to cry. I mean, how awkward is this whole thing getting right now? People would start to get annoyed and maybe they're just like put off by her demonstrative behavior. It would be so uncomfortable. And maybe they would be even commenting like, what kind of a show is this? Like, who does she think she is that she has taking all this attention? They might have even tried to shush her. And you see, she wasn't just crying. Actually, the Greek word here infers that she was wailing. This is the ugly cry. This is the place where you are pouring your guts out. This is a wailing. There's another word in the Greek for quiet cry, and that's not this word. We're told that she cried behind Jesus, and the tears landed on his feet. Well, you see, in those days, you didn't see it at a table with chairs. The table would be low. The guests would 
be on their side, leaning most likely propped on a pillow, with their feet extended out to the side and back behind them. And that is how and the reason why she could approach Jesus from behind. And she's crying loudly. And she's crying so many tears. Imagine enough tears that she could wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. You know, the feet of Jesus would be filthy. He would have walked the dusty roads of the town. So she begins to wash Jesus' feet and wipe them with her hair and then anoint them with what would have most likely been an expensive perfume. Then we see, in a sense, the camera shift. We've got this commotion, this scene going on in the room, and then we are pointed to Simon. And it says, when the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, now you know you're in trouble when you start speaking to yourself, or you know that self-talk, or you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just this thing in my head, this conversation I'm having, here's what it was. If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I don't know about you, but I've had some of those conversations in my head, you know? I'm thinking nobody else is picking up on this, but good grief, Jesus. Have you not figured out who this woman is? I mean, why would you even bother her? Can't you see? She's probably faking it, Jesus. She just wants your attention. Like, can please somebody come around and quiet this up? It's messing up my dinner party. Or maybe he even thought, you know what? I've got my tablet ready. I'm taking notes. I'm ready to learn. And this is really messing up the lesson tonight. Either way, Simon knew what kind of a woman that this woman was. And the Greek word he used for touching has a sexual overtone to it. He's thinking, if Jesus were a real prophet, if he was the real deal, then he should know how inappropriate this was, that even a touch from her would be considered impure. You see, a Pharisee wasn't even spoke to, supposed to speak to someone of this lifestyle, let alone touch them. To do so would have actually made them unclean. And so Simon looks at Jesus and the woman washing his feet and thinks, hmm, some prophet you are. You don't even know what kind of woman this is. And if you did, you wouldn't let her touch you. Well, we see Simon's condemning, self-righteous, you know, condemnation coming and being cast at the scene of this woman. It's very clear to us in verse 39 that not only does he see himself as the righteous one, but he sees the woman as a sinner. And notice, Simon even thinks he's better than Jesus. Wow. But Jesus, he's about to reveal exactly who he is, who the woman is, and who Simon really is. So he says to Simon, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, 
So he forgave the debts of both. Well, this is a simple story. Simon could figure it out. He could relate to it. You see, the average pay back then uh, for a day's wage was approximately one denarius. So 50 denarii would equal about two months' wages. And certainly 500 denarii was almost two years of wages. Both had a debt to this creditor but one's debt was 10 times larger than the other. You see, the problem was that neither one could repay their debt. And shockingly, the creditor forgives both of them. It's obvious then that Jesus, he's the creditor in the story. And at the table, there's two debtors. Simon would have clearly seen the woman as the one with the greater debt. I mean, you and I would see that the woman is clearly the one with the greater debt. And then Simon, of course, is the one with the smaller debt. I mean, he was a pretty good person. He probably sinned a few times in his life. But overall, you know, he was pretty righteous. But notice in the story that neither one of them could repay their debt. Maybe they lost their jobs. Maybe they didn't have anything to sell. Maybe they had health problems, but they had no income available to them to pay their debt. And either way, whether you owe $5,000 or $500,000, you can't repay the debt. You see, back then, there was no such thing as declaring bankruptcy. An unpaid debt was an unpaid debt, whether it was large or small. And we see in Scripture, when we look ahead in James, Chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of all of it. You know, Simon doesn't realize it, but he's just as much a sinner as this woman is. His debt is actually just as big as hers. You see, it's not about how much we do or do not sin. It's about how much we recognize our sin for what it is. Let me say that again. It's not about how much we do or do not sin. It's about how much we recognize our sin for what it really is. You see, we love to compare ourselves with others, don't we? We love to compare our sin. I mean, we're already understanding that in this story there's one with a bigger sin and she's a bigger debtor and it's clearly the woman. You know, as I was participating in my connect group this year in what we call Freedom Session, it's actually a 20-week healing discipleship program. Our, Our connect group went through it and actually Close to 200 people have been through Freedom Session this year at C4. And when the this teacher uh, in the, Ken, in the videos, told this story, he illustrated it this way. He said, you know, here we are, all broken people. Every one of us has a debt. Every one of us carries shame. Every one of us is dealing and trying to cope with shame and with pain in our life. And we kind of pick two ways to deal with our pain. One of the ways that many of us deal with our pain is escape. And escape kind of looks like this. We can blame others. That usually helps us. Or we can just withdraw. Or we can maybe use drugs or alcohol or sex or whatever it is that helps us escape 
and deal with the shame and the pain in our life. So we have an option. We can escape. Another way Ken says that we deal with shame and pain in our life is we can try harder. Now, try harder looks better. You know, it's a little more socially acceptable. Try harder can even be doing all the spiritual disciplines and sacrificing so much of your time even to serve the church and to serve people and to serve God, to do good works. And so I don't know where you find yourself if you use escape or you use try harder. The point is we're all broken. You know, when I look at this story and I, I, I think... Who am I in the story and who are you in the story? Well, I can honestly tell you that I was Simon. You see, I was raised in a Christian home. I heard the story of Jesus from a very young girl and I loved Jesus. I knew I was lost, I knew I needed saving and with the faith of a child, I put my trust in Jesus. You see, I didn't get into a sinful lifestyle. I had lots of opportunity. I chose not to. In fact, I served in my church. I sang in the choir. I sang the solos. I led the VBS, you know, like I was just doing all of these things and chose not to go the wrong way. That was, would have been easy. I had my time of rebellion, but really didn't pick that path. I had lots of opportunity, but I wanted God to be pleased with me. And you see, I only had a little sin in my life, and, or so I thought. I was sincere, but you know, you can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong. Even still, God was gracious to me, and he called me to ministry at a young age. I wanted, of course, to please him, but I was so blind to the pride to the judgmentalism, to the self-righteousness that really I was experiencing in my life. You see, I was kind of the try-harder girl. I kind of looked good on the outside and did a lot of the right things, but underneath all of that, I was really beginning in my Christian life over the years, although doing a lot of the right things, being robbed of joy, being robbed of love and being robbed of what it meant to love God really fully and freely. I found my heart actually cold to God in a lot of seasons, but I continued to try harder. I lacked love for other people. You know what? We've all have an unpayable debt before God, but many people like Simon and like me see themselves as pretty good people. And maybe that's actually a hindrance for you even beginning your journey of admitting you're lost. See, conversion requires you to admit you're lost. And for some of you, you can't even admit you're lost because you're actually a pretty good person. You're trying harder. You're doing the right things. What do you need saving from? And some of us, although we need rescuing, we continue this pattern of trying harder and we forget how lost we really are, how much we need forgiveness, the great debt that actually we owe. And you see, I didn't think that I was as bad as others. And for years, I felt pretty good about myself. I recognized 
that I was lost, but I just kind of was losing my joy and it was becoming more of a duty than a delight in following Jesus. My sins were forgiven, but I wasn't walking in joy. Notice that Jesus tells them both (laughs) of the debtors that they were forgiven of their debt, and then Jesus asks this critical question, lean in. Now, which of them will love him more? What an interesting question. Which of them will love him more? Well, Simon replied, and I probably would have replied with the exact same answer. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. And Simon and I are feeling so good about ourselves because we got the right answer. Now, which one of them will love him more? This question has bugged me. It has tormented me. It has been my angst in my life. I actually really am annoyed at this question. I wanted to be the one who loved more. But clearly, I'm the one with the smaller debt. And it's the people with the bigger debt that get to love more. Unfortunately, my lack of awareness of my own sin, like Simon, has so often been the thing that's hindered my love. My heart, as I said, has been cold to God and others. I didn't realize the big debt. I didn't realize how much I was forgiven of. Here they are, both debtors. The only difference is the woman knew it and Simon didn't. And then it hit me. (laughs) There's really no such thing as a smaller debtor. I can't pay this debt of my sin any more than she could. I need forgiveness as much as she needs forgiveness. You know what? Only when we become aware of our huge debt and only after we recognize this incredible forgiveness that our debt would be paid can we become like this woman and love more. Well, in the next verses, Jesus makes the point of this whole passage really clear. He says in verse 44 to 46, then he turned to the woman and he says to Simon, hey, Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you didn't put oil on my head, but this dear woman, she's poured perfume on my feet. There's no such thing as a little debtor. There's only people who think that they're little debtors. Everyone is a big debtor, like Simon, like me, perhaps like you too. You see, we're blind of how big of a debt we owe because we think we're pretty good people. Simon's a great example. He looked down on this woman, but Jesus begins to point out to him, Simon, you think you're the, the, you know, the, the, the least debtor here, the, the less sinner here? Well, let me point out to you in the last 15 minutes what you've done. You've done some pretty big sins. You didn't show the common courtesy of washing my feet when I came to your home, which would have been a customary, honoring thing that would happen in every home in that culture. You didn't welcome me, Simon, with a kiss. You didn't anoint me with oil, Simon. That would have been another generous sign of hospitality. Basically, Simon neglected Jesus to the point of insult. Simon didn't recognize Jesus for who he really was. 
But you know what? The woman did. Of course she had sinned. And while her sins were obvious to everyone, his sins were sins of overlook and neglect, pride and being judgmental. Her sins were sins of commission. You know, she had committed the evil and it was right out there. And, you know, all those things you're not supposed to do. But his were the sins of omission. He failed to do the good he ought to do. And here is Jesus' response. Therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. You know, when I hear and heard this story, so many times in my life, I actually wished I was the woman. I wished I had the testimony of, you know, this sordid life and, and maybe addiction and all these, you know, outward sins of rebellion. And I wish I had that, you know, really dramatic testimony because clearly if I had sinned more, then I would love more. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little, right? Well, see, there was my stumbling block. I thought I had only been forgiven little. And now I know. I'm the woman. I'm the woman. And so are you. We all have a big tent. We are all sinners. It doesn't matter if you use methods of escape and those, you know, maybe more broken, obvious ways of dealing with your sin and shame, or you're the try harder. And it just looks better the way you cover up your own sin and shame. We're all big, fat sinners. And we owe a huge debt. I'm the woman. I have to admit it's been a process for me in actually understanding this in my life. You see, the more I've come to understand my brokenness, the more I've been overwhelmed by the love of God for me, the more I've understood that even in my trying harder, I was still falling into my own brokenness. I recognize that I don't deserve forgiving. I recognize the goodness and the grace of God in my life. I recognize that I'm one of the biggest sinners. And you know what? So are you. That's the point of the story. No one is a small debtor. Only those who think they are. We, like the woman, have a huge debt. We don't deserve it to be paid off, but God pays it off. Completely, actually. He offers forgiveness and he wipes it away. Jesus tells this woman, your sins are forgiven. They're gone. I'll never remember them. They're as far as the east is from the west, Scripture says. I will remove your sins from you. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And well, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, notice that she's 
Uh, it wasn't her love that saved her. It was her faith that saved her. She believed Jesus was who he says he is, that he, in fact, is the Messiah. He is the one who can forgive sins. But you see, that's exactly the people criticized him. They, like, who do you think you are, Jesus? Only God forgives sins. But that's exactly who Jesus is. He is God. He is the Messiah. He is the one who forgives sins. You know, earlier on, Simon raised the question in his own mind whether Jesus was even a prophet. Well, here Jesus shows that actually he's more than a prophet. He's God in the flesh, and he's come to forgive sinners like you and like me. And not just forgive us, but to offer us eternal life. This woman's faith saved her. She believed Jesus for eternal life. She believed Jesus was the one who could give her forgiveness. And certainly now, she would love Jesus even more. And Jesus says, go in peace. Some of you need peace. You need rest. And I can tell you that Jesus is the one who gives you peace. The woman found her rest that day. Don't be the Simon who looks down at others as you are the pure and the more righteous and the more holy one because you will miss out and experience out this, this freedom of unashamedly, passionately, demonstratively being able to express your love for God. You see, the door to love is open only to those who recognize how much they've been forgiven. Like the woman, we are big debtors. Come and love Jesus. Come and confess your sins to him. Weep and wail if you must, but be broken for your sin and actually be so thankful that you're the bigger debtor. You know, conversion is the beginning of transformation. Conversion is admitting that you're lost and that you need to turn in the right direction towards Jesus. You know, in a sense, we keep on being converted in our Christian life as we follow Jesus. It's not that we lose salvation. We never earned it in the first place. So how could we unearn it? But we keep growing in our love for Jesus as we recognize this unconditional, this forgiving love that's been offered to us. It's kind of like a circle. You recognize you're sinful, you recognize the debt, the brokenness in your own life, and then you acknowledge and receive the forgiveness that comes from God. And when you receive that forgiveness, then you experience this love, this love not only from God, but for God and for others. And, and the more you love God, actually, then you realize how sinful you are. And then the more sinful you realize you are, then you realize, man, I'm forgiven. And the more reali you realize you're forgiven, then, you know, the more you love God. And, and then you realize, man, I'm really sinful. And the cycle just keeps going. And, you know, Apostle Paul illustrated this way. At the beginning of his ministry, he said he was the least of all the apostles. And then later in his ministry, he says, I'm actually the least of all the saints. Of all the Christians worldwide, I am the least. I am the worst. And then he says to Timothy, near the end of his ministry, I'm actually the chief of all sinners. You see, the more that you love God, as I watch people in my life that love God deeply, they never, ever would say they arrived at sinless perfection. No. They're actually the most humble people 
and recognizing they're nothing but a forgiven sinner. You know what? We can try to make ourselves feel better. We can even escape and try to feel better or try harder and maybe look better. We can feel better by criticizing others and looking down our noses on others. We can try to cheer ourselves up and say, oh, I'm not the sinner that those other people are. And, you know, we can compare ourselves with those who used, you know, broken forms of escape in their life. But you know where I think the rubber meets the road? I think in our relationships with our spouse, our kids, our family, it's very easy to judge other people's sins, isn't it? To say, man, my spouse's sins, if their sins weren't so big and mine being so small, like everything would be so much better. Those people of the church, so many of them are such big sinners. Or, you know, the, my friends, like I just see, I just can't associate with those people who are just have all those big sins in their life. I mean, it's hard to see your own sin when you're trying harder or you're escaping, but it sure can be easy to see others. What does Jesus say in verse 47? If you want to feel better about yourself, don't see yourself as better than anybody else or any other sinner. Instead, recognize that you're the huge sinner that you are, that God has forgiven you. Don't try to hide it. God knows it anyway. Own up to it and claim the forgiveness, actually, that comes from him. This enables you to love God more. This enables you to love other people more. You're able to show more grace. You're able to show more mercy. You're actually a nicer person to be around. You know, conversion begins when we recognize that we're lost, that we've been going the wrong way and we need saving. And the transformation and the ongoing work of conversion takes place as we keep on recognizing ourselves as sinners, forgiven and loved. This is the gospel. Romans 5, 5 to 8 says it like this, and hope, it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, here it is at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were broken, when we owed a great debt, when every one of us was a huge sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God, but God. He showed us, he demonstrated us, he revealed his own love for us in this. Here it is. While we all were huge sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. That's our God. That's why I'm glad to say I'm the woman. You know what? As you recognize your need for saving and transformation, it's sort of like a cup. When you fill it up and it's filled to overflowing, as the scripture says, he pours his love into our hearts. He fills that cup to overflowing. What happens when someone bumps into the cup? What's going to spill out? Love. When life and hard things happen and circumstances come 
bumping up against us, when we are filled with the love of God, it spills out. You see, I don't know what's in your cup. I don't know who you are in this story, but I choose to be the woman. I, I welcome the love of God, his mercy and grace in my life to fill me up. So when people bump into me, I want to spill out the love of God. You know, I was Simon, admittedly. And you know, when people or circumstances or life happened and bumped into me, pride, self-righteousness, judgmentalism poured out of me. I no longer am Simon. What's in your cup? What bumps, what comes out of you when you're bumped? Well, Jesus invites every one of us to be the woman in the story, to recognize our great debt of sin, to recognize that we're huge sinners. It doesn't matter how many sins, we're all sinners, and we need forgiveness. I want to pray today for two people. First person I want to pray for is maybe you're here or you're listening online or you're at one of our sites and you recognize that you need saving, that you're lost, that actually you didn't even realize what a big sinner you were. Maybe you're just such a good person and you've been trying harder and it's hard to see your need of saving. But can I tell you today, in a loving way, you're a big sinner. You owe a big debt. But here's the great news. You're forgiven. It's all paid for. And so if you would like to begin the conversion story, I want to pray for you now. Can we bow our heads together? If this is you and you know you haven't crossed that line of faith like this woman, please pray this prayer along with me. Jesus, I recognize my brokenness, my sinfulness. I recognize how lost I really am. I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I need your saving, I need your forgiving, and I, I accept your forgiveness that you brought through the cross, through your shed blood. I repent of my sin. I turn around, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness and welcome you to fill my life with your love, with your forgiveness. I want to follow you. I'm turning towards you, and I thank you for your forgiveness, and I ask you to fill me with love, with peace, with joy. There's another group that you're listening, and you've been a follower of Jesus. You're converted, but maybe you're living a life like Simon. You're lacking love. You don't actually realize what you've been forgiven of. I want to pray for you because I want to pray that you'd be renewed in your love, that you would understand the grace, that you'd understand the forgiveness, that you'd understand the mercy of God for you. Will you bow your heads and I am just going to lead in a prayer now for those who maybe this is you. Jesus, forgive me for thinking I was the smaller sinner, the one with the least debt. I've tried harder and I'm sorry. I need forgiveness. I recognize how broken I am, and I thank you for your great love and forgiveness for me. Help me to live out of a place of grace and mercy. Help me to love people the way you love people. Remove pride and judgmentalism and self-righteousness from me. I confess my brokenness and my sin, and I thank you for your great love and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.
You know what? We can all be the woman today in this story. And too much has been forgiven, too much we can love. So my prayer is that we would be a people that recognizes how much we've been forgiven and that we'd be a people who would love, love greatly. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.